in our body. Um, we can't even begin to imagine the type of physical pain that the Lord Jesus Christ went through on the cross of Calvary. As his body, even before it went to the cross, suffered such physical destruction, such physical humiliation, such physical pounding by those uh, who had arrested him and then took him um, to Golgotha's hill. We can't even begin to imagine not just the physical suffering that the Lord went through, but the spiritual anguish that the Lord suffered upon the cross of Calvary. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, he took the weight of the sins of the world upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And when we come to the communion table, sometimes we can kind of rush through the table to kind of get it over. Oh, you know, it's, it's coming close now to seven o'clock and the, the message is over and it's going on a little bit. But this type of a memorial service, if you like, it's one that shouldn't be rushed. It's one that shouldn't be kind of like done as a, 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 a some kind of ritual. It's one that we are to come around and take time. You know, Paul said we are to examine ourselves before we come to the table. Uh, when the Lord, uh, after the Passover meal, spoke to his disciples, he gave new meaning um, to the, the bread and the cup. And what they would picture in terms of what Christ would do upon the cross of Calvary. He said that this bread uh, would be a picture of his body. And uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ took that bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And um, we can ask a blessing on the bread. And I wonder if Julian would just ask a blessing. Thank you, Julian. Father, we uh, come before you, Lord, humbly, and there's a real sense of privilege, Lord, to gather around this table to remember the sacrifice that was made so that our sins could be forgiven. And Lord, we just pray offer you our thanks and we pray Lord that you uh, just help us as we take of this bread to remember all that was given from the body of the Lord Jesus and all that he went through uh, in order to gain our salvation. His body was bruised, bruised and battered and broken and nailed to a cross and Lord we, uh, as we think on those things Lord our hearts just cry out in praise to you. And so Lord just accept our thanks Lord as we partake of it we pray in Jesus Isaiah said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. After the Lord had blessed the bread, he took it and broke it. And said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me.
The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Sin cannot be dealt with without blood being shed. And when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood, his blood was powerful enough to cleanse every sin. Every sin that ever was committed, every sin that ever is committed, and every sin that ever will be committed. Um, that's how incredible the blood of Christ truly is. And he said that this cup was a picture, uh, a representation of his blood. There was a new covenant made with us because of what Christ achieved at the cross of Calvary. Um, the Lord on that night when he took the cup asked a blessing upon it. And I wonder if Brother Andrew would ask a blessing on the cup. We'll take the cup and we'll take the cup together.
Bible says that he took the cup and gave thanks. And after he'd given thanks, he said that this was a picture of his blood that was shed for the remission of sins. He told the disciples to drink ye all of it, and they were to do this in remembrance of him. Father, we are thankful for the privilege that we have to be able to gather around this table tonight, Lord, and to remember all that you did for us upon the cross of Calvary. And Father, we, we don't take this lightly, Lord. We don't come uh, to, the, the, to this table, Lord, with uh, a heart uh, that is frivolous about the things of God. But Father, we come to this table in recognition of all that you did for us, of all that you suffered, of all that you gave up. Um, you lost so much that we could gain everything. And Father, we pray that you would just help us uh, as children of God to be faithful in our walk with you, that we might show others what it means to be a believer in Christ. And Father, we just pray that you would use us to be a testimony to others, that they too might come to the cross of Calvary and find the one that died there upon the cross for them, and that they too might receive the forgiveness of their sins. Father, we just pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful name. Amen. The Bible says, uh, after they had uh, partaken uh, of these elements and after the supper had finished, it says that they, uh, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So let's just stand together and sing our next hymn.
you have your Bibles with you, um, turn to John chapter 13. I'm going to ask you a question. If you were going to speak to somebody for the last time, what would you say to them? Let's say this, this was the last occasion you were ever going to have the opportunity to speak to them face to face. What? would you say you know there's been much said about people's last words and you know we've got the famous last words of people like nelson and uh, and queen elizabeth and uh, the first and you know we've, we 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 kind of know what their last words were but i'm not asking you what would your last words be before you left this earth but what would your last conversation be with somebody if you knew that that was the last time you were ever going to see them alive and here's the thing the Lord Jesus Christ, after the, what we know as the Lord's Supper, after that last supper, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples. And oftentimes we don't really get the, um, the idea of how long he took to talk to his disciples after the supper had ended. Because we kind of have that snippet in, in Mark and Matthew and Luke that they had the Lord's Supper. And as I said, they sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. But in John's Gospel we kind of get a little bit of a scope of what the Lord Jesus Christ said after the supper had ended. When we, came, we come to the last supper, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that these would be the final hours that he had to speak to his disciples. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that that date was set in stone. He knew that his destiny was the cross of Calvary. He knew that he was about to go and be arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that Judas had already gone to betray him. He knew that the, the, uh, the, 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 the army was going to come and take him. He knew that he would go to Caiaphas' house he knew that he would stand before Herod and Pilate and he knew uh, that he would go to the cross of Calvary and there he would utter his final words before giving up the ghost and committing himself into his father's hands he knew that was about to happen so what were his final words to his disciples and that's what I want to look at today last words at the last supper it says in John chapter 13 and verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon sent to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. And if we jump down to verse uh, 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned of him that he should ask whom it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, thou, uh, that thou doest, do quickly. So supper has ended. Um, the, uh, and again, some would argue that Judas wasn't uh, around the communion table. Um, some would say that he 
was around the communion table. And at this point, after um, the communion had taken place, and Jesus tells Judas to go and do what he's going to do, do it quickly. After Judas leaves, then the Lord Jesus Christ is able to speak to his disciples. So what did Christ say with his last words on earth before he went to the cross of Calvary? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together uh, tonight of this opportunity to come around your word. And Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to understand the importance uh, of what it is that you said to your disciples after the communion service was over, after that last supper had ended. Father, I pray that you would just comfort us with these words tonight, Lord. If we had the opportunity to speak to somebody for the last time, then may we take a leaf from your book, as it were, and say the exact same things to them. We recognize the fact that time is running out, that we are not guaranteed tomorrow, and we never know what's going to happen to somebody. This might be our last opportunity to ever speak to somebody that we know, somebody that we love, somebody that we work with, somebody uh, that we are in close contact with. So help us to be wise with the words that we speak, and that we might take the example from the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might talk to them about the same things that Christ talked to his disciples. So Father, we just pray now that you would speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what did Christ talk about after the Last Supper, after the communion service, after the Lord's table was over? First of all, he talked about salvation. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, he said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about salvation. Uh, the word uh, believe is a life-altering word. The word believe means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to have confidence in. It literally means to exercise faith in somebody. Uh, and that's uh, what we are to do. You believe uh, in God, believe also in me. Um, there is a sustaining faith when we believe in God. That's the kind of faith that brings us through the valleys. That's the kind of faith that brings us through the difficulties we face. That's the kind of faith that is able to just simply get us through uh, the difficult days that we face as believers. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. If you can ever learn to trust God completely without reservation, then you have the tools you need to loosen your grip on life. You see, the problem we have when we face difficulties is that we want to solve them. We want to fix them. We refuse to let go. You know, and that gets us into trouble so many times. 
Uh, I told you, um, I'm sure I shared this story with you many years ago. I used to surf. I loved surfing. I'm not a great swimmer, which sounds crazy, but I loved to surf. Um, my first vehicle was an LDV Sherpa van because I could fit my surfboard in there and I could just drive to the beach, I could sleep in the back of the van and I could go surfing. And I would surf as much as I possibly could. And one day we were surfing in Rest Bay and we'd surfed the tide all the way in. So for six hours we'd surfed and it was amazing. And uh, me and my friends, we said, right, we'll go out and we'll do one more, we'll do one more set and then we'll go home. Well, for any of you who know Rest Bay, there's, there's a section of the beach which is quite nasty where the rocks uh, kind of um, on the left-hand side, they're looking out towards the sea. There's a nasty set of rocks on the left-hand side of, of Rest Bay. And uh, I, I was surfing, I come off my surfboard, and I didn't know this at the time, but the fin of my board had gone across my ankle and had given me a nice gash in my leg. So I was losing quite a lot of blood. And I was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And I had no power left to be able to kind of be on my board to, to swim to safety. And the, the waves were taking me closer and closer and closer to the rocks. And then the lifeguard comes in, runs, could see I was in trouble, runs down the beach, dives into the water, comes up to me um, and tells me to let go of your surfboard. I was 17 years of age. The surfboard cost me £450 back then, which was quite a long time ago. And I was like, buddy, there is no way I am letting go of this surfboard. Because if that goes on the rocks, it's wrecked. And he said, what you were holding on to eventually is going to destroy you. Let go of the board and grab hold of me. And you know, sometimes we are like that. We kind of holding on to things in our lives and we're not willing to let go of them to hold on to the one who can actually help us. You know, the lifeguard was saying, let go of what's actually dragging you to danger and grab onto me who can drag you to safety. And we kind of hold on to the things that we are struggling with in life and we're not willing to let go of them and to say to the Lord, okay, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my strength, but I'm just simply going to cling to you as, as closely as I can so that you can take me to safety. And that's the type of faith we need to have, that sustaining faith, that if you believe God, then trust Him. That's the sustaining faith. But the saving faith is if you believe God, believe also in me. That's the saving faith that we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to know of Him, but to know Him in a personal way, to trust Him with all of our heart. It's not good enough to just believe of him. Even the devils believe and tremble, James 2.19 tells us. You know, we are to believe that he died upon the cross for us. The gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That is that saving faith. When we believe, we put our trust in, we don't just believe of him. We believe in him. Fully trust in his death, burial, burial, and the resurrection. We embrace him by faith, and then we are saved by faith. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Can I say this? That we are not home yet. You know, we did a lot of traveling in the last 
couple of weeks. Uh, we were only in Hannah and Daniel's for less than a week, I think, in total, because it's like two days traveling either side, and, you know, it's driving up to Heathrow, and then flying for nine hours, and then it was a four-hour drive the other side, and jet lag, and then you four-hour drive back to the airport, and then a nine-hour flight home, and then traffic was really bad Friday, and I felt sorry for Barry was bringing us home because it was the traffic was horrendous. I just slept the whole way. But you know, there's something about getting home when you've been away and you've been traveling for so long, you kind of come through the door and you're like, ah, home. There's nothing like home. And for all of that length of time of traveling, you were like, it's okay, soon we'll be home. And then you've got the comfort of your own bed. And then you've got the comfort of your own settee. And then you've got the comfort of your own house. And there's just something quite lovely about being home. Well, Christian, we are not home yet. We are just pilgrimage. We are, we are pilgrims. This is a, a pilgrimage. This is a, a, a traveling journey uh, to get to the point of home. And Jesus said, look, you're not home yet, but I'm preparing a place for you which will be your home. We are just simply passing through at the moment, and we need to recognize that the best is yet to come. For the believer, this life is the worst thing that can happen to us. But for the unbeliever, this life is the best thing that can happen to them. For us, there is something better yet to come. A place that Christ has prepared for us in heaven. If you are saved, then there is a place in the Father's house just for you. I have gone to prepare a place for you. I can't even begin to imagine what that place looks like. When you think that the Lord just spoke into existence what we see around us, when you look into the, the universe and the, the Lord, the Bible says he, he made the stars also. When you look at the vastness of space, when you look at the glories of the mountains, when you look at the, you know, the incredible vastness of the ocean and the Lord spoke all of that into existence and you look at the minutest detail uh, of a flower and see how intricate it is and how wonderful it is. And yet the creator of this universe is making a place for us that we get to call home. You know, there are times in our walk that we feel weary and we feel, do you know what? We've just traveled too much at the moment, but we're not home yet. But one day we will be. The Lord said in my father's house and many mansions, if we were not, so I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The Lord, in his last words to his disciples, spoke about salvation. But he also spoke about success. If you look at John chapter 15, and we won't read it all for the sake of time, but verses 1 to 8, the Lord is talking about him being the vine and us being the branches and being connected to that vine. The Lord Jesus Christ uses the phrase, in me. Verse 2, every branch in me. That beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. If we are going to be successful in our walk with Lord, in our walk with the Lord, we have to be in Him. He's the vine. We are the branches. Without Him, we can do nothing. We can't be considered a branch in the Lord's vine unless there is a connection to the Lord. 
unless we are attached to the Lord. Um, No less than six times in these verses, Christ uses the phrase, in me. He's talking about a situation that is an absolute necessity for life, to be in Christ. The only way we get in Christ, as it were, is that new birth that he talked about with Nicodemus. He's not talking about being in religion. He's not talking about being in church. He's talking about being in Christ. To be connected to him. To be attached to him. Uh, There's loads of people who are in religion. There's plenty of people in church. There's plenty of people who are moral, upstanding, upright kind of people. But not everybody is in Christ. He said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Do you know Christ as your Savior tonight? That's the only way to have success in our walk with him, is to be in him, to be attached to him. Uh, When we're in him, then we can bear fruit. And we need to be producing fruit. That is what the Lord is talking about in terms of success. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. He taketh away. Now that doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation and he cuts the branch off and gets rid of you forever. The word taketh away means to lift up or to raise higher. It's a picture of a branch that's fallen into the dirt. Its leaves are dirty and covered. They cannot absorb the light and the branch as a result cannot bear fruit. So the gardener sees the branch in its condition and he lifts it back up so that it can be attached to the light so it can get what it needs from the light source as it's attached to that vine and then produce the fruit that it needs to produce on a personal level this means that we get to that place in our christian lives where we're unfruitful and barren guess what the lord is going to do some pruning he's going to cut off the the things in our lives that ought not to be there and and that's okay sometimes because it says that those whom the lord loves he chastens be zealous therefore and repent As you know, I am not a gardener. My ideal garden is tarmac from start to finish. That's my ideal garden. We've tried to grow Joe Loves Gardening, and I kind of feel sorry that our garden is not what it used to be because of me, but I I just don't get it. But I know that when there's dead branches on trees, they need to be cut off. So that the tree can grow into a better tree. Uh, There are some things in our lives that need to be cut off. So that we can grow as Christians. Because there's some things that will affect our walk with the Lord. And there are times that the Lord will prune us. There are times when the Lord will chastise us to bring us to repentance. The Lord wants us to be successful in our walk with him. That's what he's saying to the disciples. He knows what the disciples are going to do. 
He knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows that the disciples are going to flee. He knows that the only one at the foot of that cross is going to be John. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he says to his disciples, look, if you want to be successful in your walk with me, then you've got to be attached to me in that way. You've got to bear fruit. He talks about salvation. He talks about success. And then he talks about the spirit in John 16 and verse 7 he says nevertheless I tell you a truth it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you but if I depart I will send him unto you and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not of me of righteousness because I go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the, uh, that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you those last words after the last supper the lord spoke about salvation the lord spoke about success and the lord spoke about the spirit the spirit here is called by the name comforter and that word comes to us from the greek word parakletos that just simply means a helper uh, one who comes alongside one who comes to our side to offer aid. One who comes to our side to encourage us. One who comes to our side to teach us. Can I say this to you? It is absolutely impossible to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We can't do it in our own strength. Um, if the Spirit of God did not live within the child of God and give us direction minute by minute... We would never be able to do the work of God. It's an impossibility. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free. Or have been all made into, to drink into one spirit. And then John 14, 16 says. And I pray that the Father and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. How incredible that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the help that we need in order to live the type of life that he desires that we live. You know, we could never turn around and say, well, Lord, that was an impossible task that you gave us. You know, you said that if we love you, we were to keep your commandments. Impossible. But all things are possible with Christ. He's given us the spirit to be able to walk daily with the vocation with which we've been called i would 100 percent agree with you it is impossible to live the christian life without the spirit of god we can't do it 
We can't be obedient to his word. We can't apply his word to our life. We can't uh, be a witness to a lost world. We can't resist the, the wiles of the devil. But with the spirit of God indwelling us, living within us, being that guide and that comfort and that help and that one that comes alongside us so that when you re, uh, feel yourself falling into temptation, the Holy Spirit is there to give you that conviction and say, child, no, this is not the road you want to walk down. No, this is not the action you want to take. No, this is not the way in which you need to go the Holy Spirit convicts that, that's what he does he points out our sin when he comes he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment he points out wrong and sin, he convicts um any of you ever come to that point where you've sat under the message and your heart is just banging like a drum and the, you're feeling that like hot and sweaty and you think, oh, I wish this guy would stop talking about me. You know, when I first went up to Joe's church up in Bethany and Anasia, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was, I didn't think I was a good Christian because I knew I wasn't a good boy. But I thought I was a Christian. Because I went to church. I tell you what, this little little preacher, I, I don't think Rex has, has, has been over here for a long time, but Rex is only a little, a little guy. But when he preached, oh my days, he preached with power. It wasn't his power, but I was under such conviction. I sat up probably where, where Mark is sitting now, up in a little balcony in Annecy, because I thought I'd be far enough away that I could kind of be out of the way. But the Lord knew where I was at. And I thought, how does this guy know all this stuff about me? I, I'd only met Joe for a, a couple of weeks. She didn't even know this stuff about me. So how does this guy know all this stuff about me? It wasn't him. It was the, it was the Spirit of God convicting me. That's what the Spirit does. He convicts, and after you're saved and he dwells inside of you, then he convicts even more. That's his purpose. But not only does he convict, he convinces. Um, that is, he points the lost person towards the truth, and he reveals the truth of God to the hearts that have been opened through that ministry of conviction. The Holy Spirit is active uh, in the lives uh, of unbelievers in, in, in terms of convicting them and convincing them of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also very active in the lives of us as believers. And there are several ministries that he conducts in our lives. They are the indwelling. John fourteen seventeen says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. He lives inside every child of God. Not only does he indwell, but he instructs. John 16, 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He is present in our lives to give us the direction that we need. He is present in our lives to give us the direction in the way that God would want us to go. To give us a direction in the way of God, the will of God, and the word of God. Not only does he indwell and instruct, but he infills. 
Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God, to be yielded to the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God desires to fill our lives with His presence and power, that we are able to serve the Lord as we should. Not only does He indwell and instruct and infill, He enables us. Christ said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What transformed those disciples? Those same disciples that scattered on the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was arrested, and the day of his crucifixion, they were nowhere to be seen. Even on the night of his resurrection, they were hiding in the upper room. 40 days later, when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, he said, you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. And you look at the difference between Peter quaking in his boots because of a little girl saying, you were with Jesus. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. 40-odd days later, Peter stands in front of the whole city and says, ye men of Jerusalem. He wasn't scared of a little girl then. He spoke with such power in front of a crowd of thousands. And after he had done speaking, 3,000 came to know Christ as their Savior. 3,000 said, what must we do to be saved? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He enables us. That's what took these frightened men that would turn the world upside down for the gospel. But not only does he indwell, not only does he instruct, not only does he infill, not only does he enable, he encourages us. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Spirit of God carries out that blessed ministry of encouragement in our lives. Has there ever been a moment in your Christian walk where you felt so down that you thought, I'm never going to get out of this darkness? And then suddenly, it feels like it could be Christmas. You're like, how, how is that even possible? Because the Lord said, I'll not leave you comfortless. The disciples were petrified. Petrified enough to, to hide for their very lives. The Lord knows what our weaknesses are. The Lord knows what our frailties are. The Lord knows where we fall short. So he says, do you know what? I'm going to give you somebody that's going to help. In every area that you fall short. You know, and where Steve falls short is different to where Joe falls short. And where Joe falls short is different to where Brother Andrew falls short. And where he falls short is different to where Dad falls short. But the Holy Spirit is able to help us in our different shortfalls, in our different frailties, in our different weaknesses. The Holy Spirit is able to do that for each and every individual believer. He's our encourager. Guess what? Sometimes as a believer, it's really discouraging. Sometimes when we look at the world around us and we see the wickedness and the hatred and the violence and the anger and the hurt and the upset, we think, oh, what is going on? And then the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and says, child, 
Don't give up hope. Keep looking up because your redemption draweth nigh. Keep looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not give up hope. Why? Because He is our encourager. He is our comforter. He is our help in such a time of distress and in a time of despair. The Lord Jesus Christ is heading to the cross of Calvary. And he knows that this is the last time he's going to get to speak properly to his disciples. Can I say this to you? If you had the last opportunity to speak to anybody on this planet, you make sure you talk to them about salvation. You make sure you talk to them about the success that they can be if they have a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you make sure you tell them the fact that they're not doing this on their own. That the Lord has given us Another comforter. That word another, there is a another of the same kind. It's not something different. It's the same as the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. That is our comforter. We never know when the last time we speak to somebody. We never know with our conversations if that will be the last chance we ever have to share the gospel with them. The Lord Jesus Christ, his last words at the Last Supper were about salvation, success, and the Spirit of God. And I pray that we would take every opportunity to share the gospel with everybody we come in contact with. Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for this time together tonight, Lord, and for the opportunity to be able to come around the Lord's table and then to listen to your words that you spoke immediately following uh, this meal. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us tonight, Lord. Help us to be all that we should be for you. We're thankful that we're not left here to work this out on our own, that we're not left here to kind of wander around in the dark aimlessly, that you've given us the Spirit of God to guide us, help us, direct us, and to teach us, to give us the understanding that we need uh, when we read your Scripture, when we listen to your voice. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to take the, and make the most of each and every opportunity that we have to talk to others that we might share Christ with them, because that might be the last chance we have to tell them about the importance of salvation. So, Father, we just pray tonight that you'd help us, Lord, in all that we do. Help us to walk closer with you each and every day. And, Father, we thank you for what you do for us. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together, Jesus is King, and I will extol him. We stand as we sing.
Amen. I wonder if Carl would close us in a word of prayer. Thank you, Carl.